Good morning, Solace Church. Thank you for being here. Of course, if you're a guest visiting with us today, I just want to say thank you for choosing to be here. We're in week three of our series called Aftermath. I'll catch you up in just a moment about what we've talked about, but thank you for choosing to be a part of our service today. And we always welcome those watching online as well at solacechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of our online community. And if this is your first time uh, being exposed to Solace Church, first time tuning in to Solace Church, thank you for choosing to do that online. We would love to have you here if you're ever in the area uh, at our campus sometime soon. I hope you will join us here. <clears throat> so let's talk today about this third idea, this third principle, this third truth that centers on the aftermath of the resurrection. If you haven't been here, we've been walking through the historical events just after the resurrection of Jesus. And we're learning how they can apply to our lives some 2,000 years removed from those events. So we started this series by saying in the aftermath of the resurrection that we can live fearlessly. We know that's true because Jesus shows up to meet with the disciples in the evening of, after the resurrection. And through that encounter and through the power of the Spirit, their lives are radically changed so that in one moment they're cowered away in a locked room. But we see them later on courageously preaching uh, the, the good news of, of, of the resurrection of Jesus. So we said that in, in the light of the aftermath, that we can live fearlessly and we can go out into the world and we don't have to just huddle together. Last week we talked about that in, in the aftermath of the resurrection that we can believe. Remember I said last week that it seems out of order. It seems like we should believe first and then experience the power and then be sent uh, into the ends of the earth. That is true systematic, systematically. But the significance of Thomas's story is about the significance of the skeptic. And remember last week we said that, that someone who's skeptical about belief in Jesus looks at those people who've had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and they struggle to believe. And so I think John, in writing the gospel, does us a favor by giving us the chronological events. Because there's a whole lot of people who said, I've experienced Jesus and I'm saved. And there's a group of skeptics, and listen, there's not, no condemnation in that, but there's skeptical people who look at that and go, I don't know if I can believe that. We talked about last week why in the aftermath of the resurrection we can believe. If you missed either one of those uh, messages, you can go online and check them out at our website. Well, today, I want to help you understand the, the, the next event, historical events in the life of Jesus in his resurrected state. Before I do that, though, I want to, I want to tell you a couple of things about our church that you may not know. Solace Church is the name of our church, and we changed our name from, from Fellowship Church, which was the original name, to Solace Church around 2009-2010. We change the name because we believe it is what God asks us to, to change our name to. And solace means a place of refuge. That's what it means. And the reason why I think it was so important for us to change our name is because solace, a place of refuge, is not just the name of who we are. It is the essence of, uh, of how we operate and what we believe. The idea of a place of refuge is so critical, I think, in the life of a church. And one of the things that has been true about our church time and time again is that people have walked through the doors of the church, they have encountered this ministry, this gathering, this group of believers, and they've come in a very broken sense, in a very broken state, and we've met them where they are, and we've led them to Jesus, and they are changed because of that. I think that's been a great, great pattern for our church, and we don't always get that right, but that is the heartbeat of our church, a place of refuge for people in need. You may not know this, though. Solace Church has had a pretty unique uh, role in ministry for a lot of people that have been in full-time ministry in the past. 
pastors, church leaders, people involved in mission work and ministries, they have come from another ministry or another place and they've been wounded or they've been hurt or there was some kind of a, a, a breakdown, some kind of ministry failure or leadership failure. And they've come here to our church and they have spent some time here in healing and they are either on our staff or they, we have launched them back into ministry. I think it's a great, great uh, uh, reality about the ministry of Solace Church. I'm thankful for that. What you may not know though is that some of the stories of our staff member are just that story. For instance, my story is a place where I came from a failed ministry. I was the pastor of a church. When I was pastoring that church, it, it, it declined in size. We closed a daycare. We were struggling to make ends meet financially. It was not going well. And it was through that process of time that God took me from that place of, of, of failure to a place of, of res- restoration. And he set me on this path to help to start this church and I mean, incredibly thankful for that. But you need to know that between the failed ministry at Spencer Road and Solace Church, I was the bug sprayer exterminator. There's nothing wrong with being an exterminator at all. Not knocking that position, but you just need to know that that's a difficult transition. I felt sidelined. Even though I knew what God was, was wanting to do in my life, that was, a, that was a difficult period of time to go from the position of full-time ministry into, into that, 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 that job that I didn't necessarily love, but I had to do. But that story is repeated over and over. For instance, Jay, our executive pastor, he came from ministry where there was some hurt, there were some leadership challenges and some ministry challenges, and he came out of a place of, that he was really, really wounded. And he spent some time working at Cricket Communications, the mobile phone store. He worked at their, their headquarters, their central office here in the area, and uh, he worked at that job. And, and, and listen, nothing wrong with working there at that job, but he hated it because his heart, beating for ministry and he came to solace church and he sat for a period of about six months and he eventually became our youth pastor and now our executive pastor it's an incredible story of how god take, took him from a place of brokenness restored him to that process zach archer our kids pastor he started a church in piedmont he was the pastor of that church for a couple of years it was in essence a failed ministry it never really got off the ground and became you know a church that was able to be viable in and of itself and he let, he at the end of his ministry he was about to check it in he was wondering what's next where am i going after this in that process of time i called him i felt like god said call him and and, and ask him about being in ministry with us and so through that process god took him through a place of restoration Jason Fitch, our operations director, he was the pastor of a church plant. Along the way, in the process of time, God revealed to him, and it became clear that he was not supposed to be a lead pastor. That wasn't the place that he was supposed to be. And so through a process of time, and there were some wounds involved in that, he transitioned out into workforce as well. He was, he was in landscaping for a season before we hired him on here at Solace Church. Now he's our operations director. <laughs> Chuck Burton came from Carbondale Assembly. I love Carbondale Assembly of God Church. I love Pastor Phil Taylor. He is a friend and a mentor in my life. I love them. But through a process of time, Chuck had to, had to leave that ministry. And he can tell you all the, all the ins and outs, but there, it just needed to happen. God was moving his heart. But he went through a period where he sit here at Solace Church for a period of six months or so. And then he became involved in youth ministry. And now he's our pastoral care pastor of our church. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You guys are messed up. Oh my gosh, I thought, I thought Solace Church had it together, but listening to this story, I'm almost depressed for you guys, right? Right? We don't have it all together. Sometimes, even in church, in ministry, there are wounds. You get hurt along the way. 
And that's true for full-time ministers and pastors, and it's true for anyone else that's ever been connected to the church. There are people right now sitting in this room or maybe watching online, and you've been hurt by the church, and you've been sidelined, and you're wounded. You don't know how to handle that and how to process that. You're wondering what's next for me. You're wondering what has God up to in this situation, and you're struggling to figure all that out. One of the things I've learned along the way in my life and watching the lives of our staff and many others in our church and then looking into Scripture primarily, one of the things I've learned, and you can write this down if you want to, in the aftermath of the resurrection, I can be restored. No matter what the wounds look like in life, no matter what happens to me in the context of ministry or, 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 or doing life, that, that God through Jesus and the resurrection can bring restoration in my brokenness. I want to show you what that looks like in the life of Peter in John chapter 21. Before we read John 21, starting in verse 15, I want to give you the context just for a moment. You need to know about Peter, that Peter, previous to Jesus' death on the cross, denied Jesus three times. He literally denied knowing Jesus. Peter now sees Jesus' death on the cross. He has abandoned Jesus in his greatest moment of need. He is dealing with the effects of that denial. He is, he is living in light of this incredible failure in his life. And he decides, along with several other disciples, to go fishing. Now, some people believe, some people believe that, G, that Peter is returning back to his old way of life. I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's possible that that's what's going on. It's also possible that he could be running short on money. He was hanging with Jesus. Jesus carried the money purse and money bag, and now he's not with Jesus, and he may need some money. So he may be going back just for a moment to, to, to just to just have money to live on. It's also possible that Peter just loved fishing and he wanted to be out there to think or to, to deal with all that he was going through. We're not exactly sure what's taking place. But we know that Peter and some of the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. Now, we had a chance to go to the Sea of Galilee, as you guys know, and this is a picture from the bank of the Sea of Galilee. We're not sure if this is exactly where, where, where Jesus would have, or where Peter would have been located in this fishing expedition. But we know that Peter was about 100 yards off the shore of the Sea of Galilee when he was fishing. Peter and his, and his friends, the other disciples, are in the boat fishing. Now, to appreciate what's going on in this story, you must know what took place in the life of Peter in Luke chapter 5. Because in Luke chapter 5, Jesus meets Peter and calls him away from his nets into full-time ministry. The miraculous story of, of Luke chapter 5 is that the disciples fished all night, but they caught no fishes. <clears throat> Anyone in Sunday school? Sing that song? Me by myself. Okay, so that's a Sunday school song that I learned a long time ago. And they fished all night and they caught no fishes. And so Jesus came and he, and he says to them, Luke chapter 5, he says to them, Hey, why don't you try throwing those nets on the other side? And they caught such an incredible number of fish that their boats almost sank. They had to have help bringing the, the fish in. And in that moment, Peter is called away from his nets to become a fisher of men. Luke chapter 5. Now fast forward to John chapter 21. In John 21, the disciples have fished all night again, and they caught no fishes. Good English, isn't it? And Jesus walks to the bank. The disciples do not recognize him at first in his resurrected state. He's some distance away, so they probably couldn't make out his face at this point. And he calls out to them, friends. Now this Greek word, 
friends here is not used often. Jesus seldom used this word to speak to his friend, but, but to speak to the disciples. But in this case, he calls out to them, friends, you guys got anything? No. No, we hadn't caught a thing. Why don't you try throwing those nets on the other side of the boat? They follow Jesus, throw their nets on the other side of the boat. They catch a huge amount of fish, 153 to be exact, the story tells us. In that moment, no doubt, John, who is the writer of the biography of Jesus that we're going to study in just a moment, John recognizes what's taken place. He remembers Luke 5 and he says, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. Peter, in this moment, has taken off quite a bit of his clothing. Some, some manuscripts suggest that he was naked. I, my guess is he probably wasn't. That would be a little bit awkward, you know, naked, naked fishing. I'm not sure that was going on, but he, he has removed some of his clothes. Don't try that at home, please. Don't try that. He's removed some of his clothes, and so he, he, the Bible says he wraps his outer garment around him, and he gets out of the boat. It's very likely that they were, being only 100 yards out, that the water wasn't that deep. He, he likely maybe had to swim a little bit, but, but he likely just walked his way onto the shore to meet Jesus. He couldn't wait to go get to Jesus. Jesus wants to meet with Peter. He wants to talk with Peter. He's got some business left unfinished with Peter. The disciples, now with Peter's help, had made their way onto the shore. All the fish is offloaded. Jesus said, hey, you mind if I have a few of those fish? Let's have some breakfast. John tells us the disciples recognized at this point that it was Jesus, but they did not dare ask him this question, are you Jesus? And the story pivots at this moment to turn almost exclusively to the conversation between Jesus and Peter. The other disciples have either wandered off or they're in the background of the story. Jesus and Peter now are sitting down at breakfast and they are going to have a conversation. Jesus is going to meet Peter where Peter is. I don't mean geographically. I mean spiritually and emotionally. One of the things you have to understand, for those of you who go through a period of time where you know, you've know you been hurt by ministry or you're sidelined, you're, you've been in full-time ministry and maybe you aren't now, or you've been involved in the church and you've been hurt by the church, one of the things you have to know about this process of restoration is that Jesus, in a process of restoration, has to enter the wound with you. He has to meet you exactly where the wound is so that he can take you on a process of healing. And that's exactly what's going to take place in the life of Peter. Watch the story unfold in John chapter 21, verse number 15. Now, the verbiage, the wording is significant. Watch how it unfolds. When they had finished eating, just after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Barjona, or son of God, do you truly love me more than these? Stop for a moment. This question is so important. If you read it and don't understand Peter's storyline, you miss the significance of Jesus' question. What Jesus is asking Peter is he's asking Peter to go back to Matthew chapter 26. If you don't know what happens in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is giving the disciples kind of a play-by-play -play story of what's going to happen in his life. Guys, I'm going to die. They're going to be handed over. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to die. and I'm going to rise again. He's given this story and you guys are all going to leave. And Peter in Matthew 26 looks at all the other disciples that Jesus had just said they're going to abandon him. 
And he looks at all of them and he said, Lord, even if every single one of these other guys in the room leave you, I'll never leave you. You know the story, John 18 records it for us. Peter not only denies Jesus once, but three times. And in John chapter 21, when Peter and Jesus sit down together just after breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, do you love me more than these? Peter, in recounting this event, has to understand what's going on. And if you're listening and if you're wounded, you need to hear this. Hear me. Jesus, in the process of restoration, takes us back to the very place of the wound. And he doesn't allow us to go forward until we first enter the wound where it happened. (laughs) I know some people along the way, some people along the way think they want restoration, but they never are willing to go back to the place of the wound. They want to be healed. They want to be restored. They want to see life different in the future, but they're never willing to go back to the place of the original wound. That conversation, that, that personal failure, that leadership failure, that ministry failure, and allow Jesus through the Spirit to enter that place in that wound and to deal with it. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And Jesus will not allow us to move forward until he first has permission to come meet us where the wound occurred, right? And so Peter, in this conversation, says, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Now, this is an important distinction in this pastor scripture. There's two words used to describe the, the, the animal, the sheep. There is, there, is, there is the word that means a mature sheep and a word that means lamb. It's not the same. What Jesus is saying here to Peter is important. Peter is called in this pastor scripture. Do you love me? Yes, I love you more than these. You are my first love. I love you. Yes, I love you. Then Peter, Peter, and I love the Greek word for feed. It means to graze. Peter, Peter, would you would you take them to green pastures? Would you would you take the sheep, I mean the lambs, the little ones, the new believers? Would you take them? Jesus is entrusting the man who denied him three times with the new believers. (laughs) Wow. He says, will you you feed them for me, Peter? Will you take them? Now, now remember, think about this. Peter now, later on in life, gets a chance to write a letter, several letters to the church. Do you remember what he says? 1 Peter 2, verse 2, he says, My dear brothers, crave pure spiritual milk. He is doing exactly what Jesus asked him to do. He's restored now in this letter. And and, and he writes to the church, crave the spiritual milk. He's speaking to the lambs. He's feeding the lambs. He's allowing them to graze. You see the process. Now you would say, okay, great. That's awesome, man. God took him through a process of restoration, entered that wound right where it started. And then then now he's already writing letters to the church. That's great. Well, that's not the whole story. So don't don't get lost. Because hear me. You enter the wound at the beginning, but that's not the whole process. Notice what happens next in the story. Verse number 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you know the words that Jesus left out here? He left out the words more than these. Do you know why? Because when Jesus enters the wound with you, he, re- he forgives it, he redeems it, and he moves on. 
And there are some people in the room today that you've been carrying that wound and that offense that's happened in ministry or in that church or in that place. You've been carrying it with you. And hear me, when Jesus comes to restore, he meets you at that place. He does the work of forgiveness and healing. And then he calls us onward and beyond that. Jesus does not want to repeat the past mistakes. He wants to have Peter move on from them. And I would say to you, some of you in the room, this is the greatest hindrance for you being restored and and being able to move forward. That you've been reliving that wound over and over and over again. And God, through his spirit, would say, would you come on beyond that wound and allow me to do a work in you beyond the wound? Peter looks at Jesus and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And I love what what, what Jesus says. I love it. Jesus said, "Then, then take care of my sheep. The verbiage is different. It's not feed my sheep here. It's tend to my sheep. Let me tell you why this is so significant. You need to hear this this morning. If you've ever felt like you don't have a place or you're marginalized because of that failure, hear me. What Peter, what Jesus does for Peter here is he doesn't just reinstate Peter marginally. Like, hey, you can go share your story of failure like on some show sometime or some video sometime, and that's all great, and we can all do that. That's good. What Peter gets to do here now is to be fully reinstated, right? He said, why don't you now be in charge of tending the sheep? You don't have to just share that story of failure. You need to be in the trenches again, loving those people, caring for those people. Your brokenness, your wound, your hurts can now be used to care for the sheep. Will you come with me? Isn't that good? I want to speak just a word to our church for just a moment because as a pastor, I get the unfortunate opportunity to see many, many people be hurt and wounded in ministry, both in full time and in other kinds of service to the church. And they're wounded and maybe they mess it up and maybe they blow it. And one of the things the church has done over and over again through the years is they are very quick to discard those who mess it up and who have failure in their life. They're very quick to dismiss them to the margins and say, well, you had your shot, but you're done. Hear me, I think the church makes a huge mistake in dismissing and marginalizing people just because there's some kind of failure or wound in their life. Jesus does not discard. He doesn't marginalize. He comes to seek and to save, to rescue and restore. And the church is at its best when it's doing that with people as well. I pray our church would always be a place that rescues those and leads them to a place of restoration as well. Peter has now had the opportunity, and he gets to live this out, to tend to the sheep. But the story doesn't end there, because the restoration isn't complete. In John chapter 21, verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was hurt, because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you know why Peter was hurt? Because Peter took a walk down memory lane, and he remembered it was three times that I had denied Jesus. I'm thankful for this third conversation here. And it's not as though Peter, that Jesus wanted to just rehash the conversation. What Jesus is after is complete restoration. I love it. Peter's wounded. And hear me, you ready? When you're willing to be restored, when I'm willing to be restored, when you enter the wound, it's always painful. Jesus is willing to take us through a period of pain in order to bring us to a place of healing. It is painful for him to surgically come in as the physician that he is and and spiritually 
speak into that brokenness. It's always painful, but what's about to happen in the story is nothing short of a miracle. Peter says in the story, Lord, you know all things. You're, om- you're omniscient. You know it all. There's nothing hidden from you. You know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, then get busy feeding my sheep. Graze the mature ones. Take them to pasture. Teach them the truth. It's a full reinstatement of the story. Now, you would think, well, that's great. That's a cool story. The story, you know, okay, great. I'm going to enter the wound. That's really, really good. And I'm going to let Jesus speak to that. That's good. And I'm going I'm to be willing to do that. No, no, no. The story didn't end there. And you're like, is this message in? No, no, not, not yet. Because the best of it is just around the corner. Watch, watch. What happens next is really interesting in verse number 18. I tell you the truth. Now, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and, you, and, and, you, and went where you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. After Jesus enters the wound with Peter, now he's giving him a perspective about what life's going to look like next. Verse number 19, John records for us, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Okay, if you, if, you, if you don't understand the setting, you miss what Jesus just asked Peter to do. They are sitting down at the breakfast table they had just eaten. Jesus is not just saying, generically speaking, come follow me. Jesus looks at Peter and said, will you get up from that table and will you walk with me? There's some people in the room today, hear me. You need to hear this. Peter chooses to get up from the table and he starts walking with Jesus. And as he walks with Jesus, he turns around and he sees that John is following him. And Peter looks back at John and he said, hey, Jesus, what about him? In the process of restoration, hear me, it's very easy for us to get focused on what God is doing in the life of someone else. When you're going through the pain and suffering, you look at someone else and say, well, it's not as tough on them. Why, God, are you being so good to them and not to me? Why, do that, why does that make sense for them and not me? Why do they get a chance to figure it out way quicker than I get to figure it out? Why have you revealed so much to them and not to me? And Peter is looking at John and he's saying, well, what about him? And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, don't worry about him. If I want him to live until I come back, I'll let him live. You follow me. Someone in the room today needs to hear this. Maybe this is the only reason you came to church today. Hear me. There's some people in the room today. You've been sitting down at the table and you've been praying it through and you've been working on it and now Jesus is saying to you, would you get up from that moment and would you move forward? Would you be willing to come up from the table, be willing to be restored, and to come follow me? And you would say, but but what about them? What about that person? What about that person? They hurt me, and you're allowing them to do that in ministry. He says, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll take care of them, I promise. You fix your eyes on me. I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. Look at me. Let's go. Now, here's what I want us to do for a moment. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solidchurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. 
You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.